Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Hurricane Ian is expected to hit Florida later this week. Governor Ron DeSantis asks residents to brace for potential impacts, including power outages. A new poll finds the majority of Democrats don't want Biden to be the party's 2024 presidential nominee. How is the White House responding? The January 6th committee is set to host its final hearing on the investigation of the Capitol breach. They say new details are coming. What a veteran says about U.S. military recruitment woes as lawmakers grow increasingly concerned after a warning from the Pentagon. Florida is bracing for Hurricane Ian. It's expected to strengthen into a Category 4 storm as it heads towards the state. Governor Ron DeSantis gave an update on the hurricane, as well as resources that are in place earlier today. Uh, it will bring heavy rains, strong winds, flash flooding, storm surge, along with isolated tornado activity along Florida's Gulf Coast. Uh, Floridians up and down the Gulf Coast should feel the impacts of this as up to 36 hours before um, actual landfall due to the size of the hurricane. This is a really, really big hurricane at this point. The governor declared a state of emergency for all of Florida on Saturday. The storm is expected to strengthen into a major hurricane in the eastern Gulf of Mexico as early as Tuesday. The Florida Department of Transportation is now suspending tolls in the Tampa Bay area. The governor says there could be more to come, and some schools are closed for the upcoming week. The Florida National Guard is also ready to help. The Florida National Guard has activated 5,000 Florida Guardsmen, as well as 2,000 additional Guardsmen from Tennessee, Georgia, and North Carolina that have been activated to help. We have also have five urban search and rescue teams that are activated. We have Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission mobilized and ready to support needed efforts. The governor says Floridians should expect power outages, even if the eye of the storm doesn't hit their region. He says people can stay updated and learn how to prepare by going to floridadisaster.org slash get a plan. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. President Biden's plan to cancel federal student loans could cost $400 billion. That's according to a report by the Congressional Budget Office, or CBO, released today. The report says as of June 30th this year, 43 million borrowers held $1.6 trillion in federal student loans. About $430 billion of that debt will be canceled. The office relied on a number of estimates, including how many people will apply for loan forgiveness. The CBO is a federal agency that conducts nonpartisan analysis for Congress. They said the estimates are highly uncertain. President Biden announced in August his plan to cancel student loans for borrowers who make less than a certain amount per year. The White House is expected to announce its own estimate of the cost in the coming weeks. And the White House was pressed today on Biden's popularity within the Democratic Party. NTD's Iris Tao has more on a new poll and the administration's response. According to a poll released Sunday by ABC News and The Washington Post, only 35 percent of Democrats and Democratic-leaning independents favored Biden for the 2024 nomination. More than half want the party to pick someone else. Is the president concerned by this? How is he digesting a number like that? But look, um, the president will, will, will say 
as I am saying right now, is his focus is not on himself. Uh, his focus is on continuing to deliver for the American people. We have done everything that we can. Every The president has made lowering costs for the American people a priority. While the White House on Monday defended the president by touting the recently passed Inflation Reduction Act, the poll puts the approval rate for Biden's handling of the economy at just 36 percent. But the press secretary insists... When you think about Medicare, you think about Social Security, you think about uh, the pieces of, of legislation that we have passed, they are, are very popular uh, with the American people. Meanwhile, former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki says this about the upcoming midterm election and Democratic candidates. Mm -hmm. um, if it is a referendum on the president, they will lose, and they know that. They also know that crime is a huge vulnerability for Democrats. Trump said earlier this month that the election is a referendum on Biden, as well as on what he calls skyrocketing inflation. And that's as he hinted at running again at a rally just days ago. And we may just have to do it again, right? We may have to do it again. And the new poll finds about half of Republican-leaning respondents support Trump for a second term, while also about half say they want a different GOP candidate. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. Congresswoman Liz Cheney says she will not remain a Republican if former President Trump is the GOP's presidential pick in 2024. Here's what she said over the weekend. I'm going to make sure Donald Trump, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure he's not the nominee. And if he is the nominee, I won't be a Republican. Cheney adds that she would be willing to campaign for Democrats to stop GOP nominee Kari Lake from winning the Arizona gubernatorial race. Lake is an outspoken critic of election fraud. Cheney is on her way out of Congress after she lost the Republican primary in August. She's also one of the only two Republicans on the January 6th panel, which will hold its next hearing on Wednesday. And some of the members of the January 6th committee are saying there will be more evidence against former President Trump. But one democracy movement expert says it's all a messaging campaign. NTD's Arlene Richards has the story. After a six-week break, the members of the January 6th committee will reconvene to continue what they started. And one committee member told CBS's Face the Nation, we can expect this. This hearing that we have coming up on Wednesday will be a continuation of what we heard in June and July, which was that the president played a direct role in trying to undermine uh, our democratic institutions and prevent a peaceful transfer of power. Another committee member told NBC's Meet the Press, this is what they're going to do. I think the public understands the basic elements of the story. What we're going to do on Wednesday is fill in those details that have come to the attention of the committee over the last five or six weeks. But a democracy movement expert said he thinks this is why the hearings are being held. The reason that they're doing it is because the press, the media, is the public face of the national security apparatus. And for a whole host of reasons, they've been targeting Donald Trump since at least 2016. That's who's pulling down the institutions of American democracy. He said we've seen something like this before. The idea that somehow Trump is pushing the boundaries of democracy or is looking to undo, uh, undo the, the tent poles of democracy is preposterous. This is just a messaging campaign coming from the Biden administration, federal law enforcement authorities and the press. We've seen the same thing since 2016. It's no different now. The committee received 800,000 pages of communications from the Secret Service, which contain internal communications between staff members. Out of the public eye, the committee continued its investigation, poring over those documents and getting testimony. 
Representative Jamie Raskin told NBC's Meet the Press what he knows about an alleged call coming out of the White House while the breach was happening. I can't say anything specific about that particular call, but we are aware of it. Uh, and we're aware of lots of contacts between uh, people in the White House and different people that were involved. Meanwhile, news has been circulating that former Vice President Mike Pence may give testimony on Wednesday. But so far, the committee is still speaking with Pence's attorney. The committee plans to write its final report after the Wednesday hearing. They're hoping to publish it by the end of the year. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. Now an update on the legal battle between former President Trump and the DOJ over the documents seized during the raid on Mar-a-Lago. Special Master Raymond Deary issued a protective order that sides with Trump's lawyers. Trump's team doesn't have to tell the Department of Justice who will get access to the materials during the Special Master's review. His team will choose lawyers and staff to scan and review the documents, but they'll still need to be approved by Deary. The order comes after DOJ lawyers asked for the names and job titles of those who would be involved. It also outlines the rules and limitations for the reviewers. Everyone involved has to sign an acknowledgement of the rules in the protective order before they can proceed. Not all of the seized documents are included in the review. And U.S. military recruitment is down this year. Pentagon leaders warned Congress last week that it's the worst since voluntary service began. The Army alone could be short on troops by more than 21,000 next year. So what's going on here? Is it the pandemic, the economy, the inherent difficulty of passing muster, or something else entirely? Earlier today, I spoke with veteran and now YouTube personality Eric Blanford for his take. Eric Blanford, welcome to our show. Thanks for joining us. Steph, thanks so much for having me today. Now, the military's recruitment woes have been put down to a variety of factors, from the obesity epidemic to unpopular wars. But your point, you point to a number of other issues. Could you tell us some of those top reasons in your eyes? Well, I think wokeism is certainly an issue. You know, the military's gone woke. And look at the way that our troops have been treated over the last few years. I mean, people telling us how evil we are and how racist we are and, you know, all of the defund the police movement and all of the, you know, lack of support that society's given folks in uniform, I'm sure has left a bad taste in many people's mouths. Your first point that you've made on this topic is that there's a lack of faith in the administration. Could you speak to that? Yes. So... In terms of the administration, I mean, soldiers need to have faith in their leadership. And when you see all of the things going on with the alphabet agencies that are being weaponized against conservatives and everything like that, you know, you start start to wonder, okay, well, if I join the military, am I going to have the book thrown at me? Or is someone going to look at me uh, to be some scapegoat for some situation they can sweep under the rug? I mean, you know, when you look at the administrative state, it's pretty clear that they've chosen a side. And why would you join the military, you know, knowing that you're going to be thrown under the bus? All you have to do is talk to veterans. I mean, the last 20 years has taught us a lot about things that have gone on. Okay. There are people that are currently serving that their medical decisions were not uh, you know, honored. Okay. If they didn't want to get the poke, they got kicked out. All right. What do you think those people are telling to potential recruits that might want to join the military? So when you have this entire mechanism that just goes completely against your way of life and is being weaponized against your way of life, after a while, you kind of start to call it what it is and people vote with their feet. And what do you think it would take to bring recruitment rates back up to par? 
well, this may be an unpopular opinion, but I think we need to bring masculinity back into the military and we need to bring patriotism back in the military. It just seems like we've, we've gone away from those basic goals of creating a cohesive fighting unit, you know, that is all serving an equal purpose and, and everyone, you know, getting in there and doing their jobs and having trust in their leadership, you know, Look, whether it is to bring in more people in combat arms roles, I come from a combat a combat arms role, excuse me. So from my perspective, I look at it more in the terms of, you know, manning up the military a little bit. Now, obviously, you know, there's going to be very many different roles in the military that aren't just, you know, for one group of people. But I think they really need to get back to the roots of the military being about defeating the enemy, you know, and about patriots serving their country. And that, that patriotism needs to come back. From your perspective, what kind of action could Americans who want to defend the nation and its way of life do, given all the circumstances as they are? Oh boy, I love this question, because I would tell everybody they need to be armed, they need to be capable and ready at all times, right? I mean, our country was founded on the very concept of civilians being able to arm themselves and be a part of the militia. Every single person who's able-bodied can pick up a firearm and protect their country. You don't necessarily have to serve in the military to make a difference, right? It can be in your everyday community. Some of the greatest heroes day-to-day are in our everyday communities, in our hospitals, right, in our schools. You know, brave people every day that put their lives on the line. And there are many ways that you can serve your country that don't necessarily have to involve the military. But a state of readiness, right, why have we not been invaded on the mainland? Because they know there's a rifle behind every blade of grass. And I think that we need to protect those ideals. It's very important. Eric Blanford, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Coming up, results from Italy's national election. It looks like a right-wing alliance has won the most votes. It's likely to be the country's most conservative government in seven decades. And in basketball, when a Michael Jordan jersey from the 98 NBA Finals was recently auctioned off, it sold for a record $10 million. And TD's Dave Martin talks to the team's beat reporter about its significance. That and more coming up. Turning now to international news, a gunman opened fire in a school in central Russia today. Authorities report he killed at least 15 people and wounded 24 others before committing suicide by shooting himself. And just a warning, the following footage may be disturbing for some viewers. A shooting took place in school number 88 in Izhivsk, a city 600 miles east of Moscow. Russia's investigative committee said the attacker, a man in his early 30s who had once been a pupil of the school, killed two security guards and then opened fire on students and teachers. The committee said 15 people, including 11 children, were killed in the shooting, and 24 others, including 22 children, were wounded. The authorities also said the killer was wearing a black T-shirt bearing Nazi symbols. No details about his motives have been released. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov described the shooting as a terrorist act and said President Putin has given all the necessary orders to the relevant authorities. Russia has seen several school shootings in recent years. In May 2021, 
a teenage gunman killed seven children and two adults in the city of Kazan. In April 2022, an armed man killed two children and a teacher at a nursery in the western region before committing suicide. In Italy's national election, a right-wing coalition is projected to win a solid majority in both houses of parliament. The likely new prime minister hopes to bring political stability and unity. The right-wing alliance is set to win Italy's national election. With results counted in more than 97% of polling stations, the Brothers of Italy led with more than 26% of the vote. The party's leader, Giorgia Maloney, looks set to become Italy's first woman prime minister at the head of its most right-wing government since World War II. When this night is over, we have to remember, we must remember that we are not at the end point, we are at the starting point. It is from tomorrow that we must prove our worth. Maloney's party will form a coalition with the League and former Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi's Forza Italia. Maloney and her allies face a daunting list of challenges, including soaring energy prices, the war in Ukraine and a renewed slowdown in the Eurozone's third largest economy. A political analyst said while Maloney had reason to celebrate her party's success, there was the potential for government instability. Um, the other partners of the coalition uh, did not so well. This is true particularly for the League. Uh, going below 10% means that this probably will open uh, uh, fractures within the party and fractures uh, within different factions of, uh, of the party. Uh, and this might result even in a crisis uh, of the League and in a crisis of the leadership of the party right now. Italians have mixed feeling about the election results, with Maloney becoming Prime Minister. Let's see. She has to prove that she can live up to the role and she has to prove that she can represent all Italians, both those who vote for right-wing parties and especially those who did not vote for the right parties. We all hope that from this moment on, for the umpteenth time in the last 30, 35 or 40 years, we can have real faith in the choices of those who govern us. Maloney's coalition government, Italy's 68th since 1946, is unlikely to be installed before the end of October, and Prime Minister Mario Draghi remains at the head of a caretaker administration for now. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. The NFL has announced they're replacing the Pro Bowl contest with a week's worth of skills competitions capped by flag football game. The Pro Bowl is the NFL's version of the All-Star Game, pitting the NFC against the AFC. Because of the high risk of injury though the event is treated more like the exhibition that it is with little intensity, especially on defense. Consequently, the game has never been a big hit with fans. In basketball news, Michael Jordan's game-worn jersey from Game 1 of the 1998 NBA Finals sold for just over $10 million earlier this month. The amount was the most ever paid for a game-worn uniform and highlighted Jordan's ongoing popularity even in retirement. The series would mark Jordan's last one with Chicago. Reporter and author Sam Smith, who covered the Bulls for the Chicago Tribune, 
During their 1990s dynasty told me this series, specifically the end of game six where Jordan nearly single-handedly won it by himself at the end would have been the perfect ending for his career had he not returned three years later. He makes the basket, steals the ball, and makes the winning basket, poses on the posing court. You know, it was one of the really historic moments in sports, uh, you know, in effect waving goodbye symbolically to what seemed like his career and the, the opponent at the same time. The championship was Chicago's third straight overall and sixth in an eight-year span. With hints of Jordan not wanting to come back and play for another coach, the series was and still is the most watched finals ever. He said consistently that season, if Phil Jackson is not here, I'm not playing. And so that build-up, you know, here's this greatest player who had, had all these achievements, five five titles, and every time he got to the finals, one was the MVP, and now he's going in for his last act, the sixth time. Everybody's got to see, you know, it's a, a, the, the last act of the greatest show on earth closing for the final time. You're never going to see it again. How could it not be the all-time greatest watched finals? That's all for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And finally, drag racing. It's loud, it's fast, and it can also be about family and community. Drag racers in California told NTD's Daniel Hall more about the sport and how they're bringing awareness to the cancer that's affecting the women in their community. What could be better than following one's passion all while helping other people? That's what these drag racers are doing right behind me, raising money to fight ovarian cancer. Drivers sped down the track at the Sacramento Raceway Park in Northern California on Saturday. Racers made their donation to the Ovarian Cancer Coalition of Northern California. Dee Mitchell, a cancer survivor and president of the OCC, received the donation. Because the guys worked so hard to try to learn about ovarian cancer for their women, I came up with another um, slogan for the men that says, Real men support ovarian cancer. Mitchell says she met the drag racers about five years ago. She says the racers wanted to help her organization and bring awareness to the track. It's breathtaking to know that I do have, me and other women have guys such as Nick and the other guys shine on them to come out and really push on the track about ovarian cancer awareness. September is Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month. And that's what the community wanted to spread, awareness. Most importantly is the recognition of the Ovarian Cancer Coalition and the openness of the West Coast NA class to have a community outreach, which is not common in the drag race community. That race class that Charisma mentioned specifies certain engine sizes and characteristics, as well as track quality. And strictly for documentation purposes, this reporter took a ride in a 1969 Plymouth Barracuda. The driver, Sacramento local Johnny Michaels, was kind enough to add some extra weight for that run down the track. It's a blast to have a super lot of fun. Um, they're always trying to chase a number, and um, I don't know, the camaraderie of everybody around here is great. One of the event organizers, Shiloh Davies, confirmed that competitive spirit in racers is simply human nature. 
So drag racing, since the beginning, when, when people rode horses, they wanted to see who had the fastest horse. When, when, it, when the horse started towing a wagon, they wanted to see who had the fast, fastest wagon. Now here we are today, 2022. We're out trying to see who has the fastest car. Powered by gasoline today, and I'm sure by electric in the near future. Davies added that while racers are fierce competitors with one another when they're on the track, they're best of friends everywhere else. Daniel Hall, NTD News, Sacramento, California. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.